You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. It's a, it's a joy and privilege to be with you this morning, uh, to share the Word of God with you. Uh, welcome to you who are a part of this family, and welcome to you who are uh, checking things out. Um, you've maybe exploring Christianity for the first time. Maybe you have a lot of questions. Maybe you're you're new to the region. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. This is a um, just a for me personally has been such a, a wonderful place for my family and I to land, and we're grateful for the people of Liberty. So you've heard from our deacons uh, the ways in which. Um, this, this congregation seems to rally around each other. It has been such an encouragement for me uh, personally, and I know for many others. Again, welcome to, to all of you, and a, a special welcome to our men who made it back from our men's retreat this weekend. Uh, thank you for coming. We had 45 guys out this weekend for our men's retreat, which was, a, which was just a great time uh, for men to gather. And we want to just say thank you to the women uh, and the moms who made that possible for us this weekend, uh, you've given your husbands a good gift, and we know you've shouldered uh, the burden and responsibility uh, at home, and so thank you. Um, we, are, we are grateful to you for that gift. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me there. If you have one of those hardback black Bibles, uh, we're going to be on page 403. As you turn there, um, I've been reflecting on this idea of renewal uh, this week as we've kind of gotten into uh, this this part of our scriptures. And I'm reminded of the time most recently. uh, Just a little bit of background, if you don't, if you if we we haven't like caught up and you don't know me real well, um, I'm from Florida, and um, I've never been to New York City until like last year. Um, So yeah, I know, right? Well. I, I love big cities, and they, I find them to be like extremely fascinating. Uh, just the, the, the fact that so many people can live in such a small space, right? And then they just go up. And that's, I, th- I find that really intriguing. Um, and we were, we were meeting a friend of ours who was a church planner in New York City, and he was taking us around and showing us some places. And we, met, we went to a, a part of Manhattan uh, called the Meatpacking District, or Hell's Kitchen, and uh, this was a, a part of town that uh, was really, it's, it's on, it's on uh, the west side of Manhattan uh, and, and historically has been a very rough part of town, a very uh, difficult part of town. Uh, lots of gang activities and murders and stuff like that happening. Um, it's on the west side and so like, there's lots of gangs that would like, snap at each other and dance. <laughs> and they would have dance battles and it got really intense for a lot of years in that area. Uh, and so uh, it was just a rough part of town and with a rough part of town comes um, dilapidation of buildings comes um, just a a lack of care for that region that part of the city Uh, but as of of late there's been a a renewal effort um, in that part of Manhattan in that district uh, where like new restaurants are coming in, new businesses are coming in, the, the city's financially getting behind restoring and renewing 
the architecture. Like the the one of the cool things is uh, they would put these um, really kind of modern high tech constructions behind a existing facade of a building, so that would keep the appearance of this really old, beautiful architecture, but behind that is like steel-framed construction. Um, and so that was, that was something really neat. And, w- and another, another thing that we found really interesting, it's called the High Line. Uh, it was an old transit system uh, that's ab- above ground, um, that uh, kind of a rail system that, that they've, they've shut down, and instead of destroying it, they've turned it into a, um, a sidewalk. Uh, above ground, which uh, lots of vegetation, some businesses are coming in, being able to kind of touch that, uh, that high line. Uh, it was really neat to see uh, this, this renewal of something that was so broken and so forgotten. And it made me question and think about, as, we were, as I was studying the passage this week, what is it about us as human beings that, that sees something that is broken and wants to make it new, wants to restore it, wants to uh, see life brought back into death. I really believe that this is a divine quality that we've received from our maker. As creative beings, we have this internal desire to take that which is broken and make it new, to fix it. Many of us have to do that at our home. Something breaks and we're, we're not super excited about it, right? But, but imagine those things. What are those things that you see and you're like, it would, it would be beautiful if that was turned into something productive or healthy. Um, and so we have this passage this morning in Nehemiah 8. As Pastor Matt had discussed last week, Nehemiah and the Israelites were rebuilding the walls and had just finished rebuilding the, ra- the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, this is right after the time that uh, Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. And the work on the wall has finished. But as Pastor Matt pointed out, the real work of renewal begins now for Nehemiah. So let's look now to this book that we love. Nehemiah chapter 8. Beginning, Actually, I'm going to go back one verse to kind of set this up. So 7 verse 73. Right. So the priests and the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people in the temple servants and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly both men and women, all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Malshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. 
for he was above all the people. And as he opened it to all the people, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Yemen, Akub, Shebatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Yosabad, Hanan, and Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and as they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make a great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in their courts of the houses of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in booths from that day of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come now as your people, as seekers, as rebels, to hear your word. As we will read, all of those who can understand, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Let us hear your good news. Let us see you for who you truly are. The God who is present. The God who desires to know us and be known by us. Be with us now. May your gospel ring forever true. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This morning, uh, we're going to take a look at two aspects of this passage of renewal here in Nehemiah chapter 8. The first being renewal to the word, and the second being a renewal from the word. So renewal to the word. Renewal to the word. As we looked here in Nehemiah uh, 8.1, we, we, we have a new character on the scene. We have a new person uh, brought into the narrative of Nehemiah. Uh, this person is Ezra. Uh, Ezra was a priest and a scribe and was part of the second wave of Jews who began the return from Babylon to Jerusalem. Uh, he was part of the second out of three waves. Uh, he is also the author of the book of Ezra. Very original titles. But um, he was commissioned by King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia, to come back after the rebuilding of the temple was completed by Zerubbabel. Uh, and like his responsibility from Artaxerxes was to establish worship again in Israel and Jerusalem. And so this task um, was, was commissioned to Ezra. And it's not that Ezra is new to Jerusalem or, that the, work that is, or the work that is going on here. In fact, uh, he was in Jerusalem 12 to 13 years prior to Nehemiah's arrival. And what he was doing was he was establishing, building up, training, and equipping people, what well, we would, might even say, for this day. To those who are reading this for the first time, Ezra has been at work uh, somewhat behind the scenes of this narrative in Nehemiah, doing work of preparing the hearts of men for the great task of creating a foundation of renewal uh, for God's people through the word of God. Uh, Jerusalem, to this point, had been a run-down city, a city that had no walls, no protection, no sustaining power to shelter its own people or even grow. Yet, what would inevitably happen when the walls go up into a city like Jerusalem is that people would begin to flock back to Jerusalem, seeing that it is now safe, seeing that it is now uh, capable of uh, protecting them physically, and then we would see, uh, again, uh, people's numbers increase and so, uh, knowing this, knowing this was part of God's plan, uh, and since renewal is God's great design for his people, he begins to establish leaders to dedicate themselves to know the scriptures. So this work was happening, like I said, t 12 to 13 years uh, before what we read here today. Uh, the training and preparation was starting to, what we really are able to see, is starting to bear fruit in the lives of God's people. Uh, I've been pastoring since 2006, so this is my 13th year of pastoral ministry, and uh, I can just imagine uh, it has both felt like an eternity and like I started yesterday, right? So the 13-year the period in which Ezra has been working in the lives of people to prepare them for this day when more people would come is a, is a great task, but it's also one of those tasks that um, it, no doubt Ezra was like, are we ever going to get there? Is this ever going to happen? Are we ever going to see fruit? 
Um, and in Ezra, you'll see that there were many, many um, strides for renewal. Uh, but this point, when the wall finishes, uh, we believe that, uh, that this is really a turning point in, um, in, in the life of Israel and the establishment of Jerusalem. Uh, the work of ministry um, is not just for those in vocational ministry, but are for those who uh, proclaim Christ as Savior. And so let me take a quick moment and just encourage you um, who are uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. It may be 12, 13 years of walking with people, with family members, it may be longer, with friends, with coworkers, before you start to see some of the fruit of that labor. So let me encourage you to, to persist, to endure, to be long-suffering. There are many who uh, struggle and toil with neighbors and friends and family and even their own children um, and have children who are uh, turning from God. Let me encourage you, as we were encouraged as men last night, um, to persist in pursuing your children, your neighbors, your family, your friends. For this is a good work that God has called us to. And this is a hard work, but it is, it is a right and good work. Um, the hearts of men are harder to rebuild than the walls of Jerusalem. So may we be reminded of that, but we also have with us the God who uh, can put flesh on dry bone. Ezra's work uh, and Nehemiah's work begins now with the reading of God's word. Derek Kidner, uh, a commentator on the book of Nehemiah, says that this day was to, to prove to be a turning point. From now on, the Jews would be predominantly the people of the book. Here we see the beginning of renewal in Israel. We see people hungering for the word of God. Take note again in verse 1 of chapter 8, where it's the people told Ezra to describe to bring the book of the law of Moses. There was a desire for people to hear the word of God. As was Ezra was reading from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible um, written by Moses, um, and then the men on Ezra's left were the priest who helped lead in the worship, and the Levites were in and among the people explaining to them uh, what these things meant. So these were men who were equipped, who were called out, were from a specific tribe of Israel to do this work. The Levites were a tribe uh, of Israelites descended from Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. The priests of Israel were a group of qualified men within the tribe of Levites who had responsibility over aspects of tabernacle or temple worship. All priests were to be Levites, according to the law, but not all Levites were priests. So there is a distinction in roles of the men who were standing to Ezra's left and the men who went out in and amongst the people. And as they read the book of the law, they would have heard um, how in the beginning, the world was formless and void, how it was, as the, the Hebrew puts it, tohu vavohu, 
which is, by the way, just one of my favorite Hebrew words. It's just fun. So you can take that one home, you know, tell your friends, tohu vavohu, right? It, which means in chaos. But when the word of God comes to this chaos and is spoken out, it brought order. It brought form. It brought structure and balance to chaos. How God put things in their place and caused everything to flourish. But they would also hear how sin creeped in and threw things back into chaos. How man rebelled, but God had a plan to redeem this world, to make things new, to bring about renewal, to crush the serpent through the seed of the woman, to renew a people for his own. How he called out Abraham and gave Abraham faith. And even through Abraham's faithlessness, God was faithful. How he established a people through Abraham and called them out to be separate, to create in them order amongst the chaos of sin. And how he would send through them a rescuer, a Messiah, a Savior, to, to, to defeat their true and greatest enemy, which is sin. How would he do this? He would do this through his called out people. And how now, as the temple is built and the walls around Jerusalem are built and restored, the realization that God is keeping his promises comes to the minds of the Israelites as they hear the words that, that Ezra is reading. That God would use this people to bring about the Messiah, the chosen one, the rescuer for his people. So a renewal to the word of God for the people of Israel is a call. But it's also a call to us as Christians to know God's word, to study God's word, to be a people who understand this word. Uh, the word understand or understood comes up five times in 12 verses here in Nehemiah chapter 8. We need to always be renewing our love for the word of God, both for our own lives, for our own pursuit and knowledge of God, but not just that, but to be people who represent Christ and to share Christ with others. As 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have in Jesus. But do so with gentleness and respect. Our call to know the word is not just for our own benefit, but it is for the benefit of those around us that we may help to understand. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy people, a called out people. As these Levites were called out, so are we as followers of Jesus, called out to help people understand the very words of God and the hope that we now have in Christ Jesus because of his work. They didn't just have a renewal to the word, though. They had a, um, they had a renewal from the word of God. So our second point today would be a renewal from the word of God. How did they respond to this law? How did they respond to this reading? As verse 9 says, 
And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. There was a response to the reading of the word. It hit home for them in ways that it had not hit home for them before, knowing that they were Israelites, knowing that they were called to be in Jerusalem, but hearing the word of God over them and God's faithfulness to his people caused for them an emotive response, Um, maybe wrestling with the gravity of their own sin, maybe wrestling with the fact that why would God be faithful to us? I know my father and my grandfather and how they uh, lived their lives, and why would God be faithful to us? And they wept. I don't know many people who read Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, I, I don't know people who, who read through those, and finally they get to the end and they weep. Uh, they usually weep like when they're going through First and Second Chronicles and going through like all of the names and the genealogy. They're like, I can't do this. Like that's that's probably a normal weeping. Uh, but but it's, it must be a, a personal contextual realization for them in seeing themselves in the scriptures and seeing their own rebellion and yet God being faithful. Friends, if we glean nothing else from today, I want you to know that you can trust and believe that God is faithful that he is faithful from generation to generation. Let that invoke in you something deep and beautiful. May it cause weeping because you find yourselves to be the rebels. You find yourself to be the one who rebels against God and wanted nothing of God, and yet God said, I want you. I have given Christ for you, my son, on the cross to take away your sin. All that keeps you from me I have taken away in Christ Jesus. Let God's faithful pursuit of us mean something to us every day. The gospel being preached to us every day of God's faithfulness. He continues to pursue us. Spurgeon said this, The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. No sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. He is faithful to us despite us. So their response and our response of hearing the word of God preached over them was weeping at their own unfaithfulness, a recognition of their sin, an understanding of God's glory and faithfulness to his people and the fact that God keeps his promises and they were living in a promise that God would restore Israel to bring about the Messiah and this is a right and good response from the people of Israel. It is a right and good response. When we are faced with the glory of God, the holiness of God, and our own sin, it should break us. It should break us. And yet God loves us and pursues us and is a right and good response. And yet what we see from Ezra and Nehemiah, they say, stop weeping. Stop weeping. Now is not a time for weeping. Today is the day of the Lord. It is a day of rejoicing. In the midst of 
our response, our humbled response before God, he lifts up his people's heads and he says, Rejoice! Rejoice, for I am doing a great thing in Israel. Here at Liberty Church, we also celebrate seasons, and we are coming up on the Advent season. Um, and Advent, um, getting ready for, for Christmas, um, can be a weighty time for some. It can be a difficult time for some. Um, God sets times and reminders and rhythms for his people for their good. And Advent is a season that with everything that happens and with everything that season brings, God is calling us to rejoice in the things that are um, sometimes above our own circumstance. He's calling us to lift our heads, to find hope, not in our circumstance, our situation, but to find hope in him. It is a time of rejoicing. It is a time of celebrating. It is a time of feasting. And I would encourage you, Liberty Church, to see this Advent season that is coming as a time of rejoicing. I will call you as a church to rejoice and find your joy and find your sustenance in the work of Jesus Christ becoming flesh. And I will repeat with what Nehemiah and Ezra say, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. And, and not just do that, but also send portions to anyone who has a need. We are encouraging everyone. We'll have a couple of things. Even um, Greg brought up this morning, opportunities for us to give out of the plenty of our lives to those who are in need. And we do this because we rejoice in the good gifts that God has given us. And we have uh, these times of feasting and, 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 and gathering. I want to encourage you to invite others to your house and to celebrate with them, to break bread, to drink good drinks, to have laughter and rejoicing in your homes. These are good gifts and good rhythms that God has given for his people. But let not our celebration expire on the meal or the drinks or the conversation, but let our celebration have no ceiling. Let, it, let our joy be lifted to the heavens, that our enjoyment of the good gifts would not expire on the gifts, but would be um, lifted up to the giver of these gifts. That truly we would experience the fullness of joy because it is not in what we consume or conversations that we have, but it is the one who gives us the life and the hope to experience these things in their full. So we feast at Advent and we fast at Lent. We take time and seasons to do these things because we need to be reminded of both the joys and gifts afforded to us through Jesus Christ, but also to have solemn remembrance of what these joys cost Christ. And this was Israel's response. They read the word of God and they obeyed it. They read the word of God and they obeyed it, trusting that the God who gave these gifts to them is worthy of their trust and obedience. It is not that we believe in God. It is important that we believe God and follow him and obey him. So my question for you as we close this morning is not that will you believe in God, but will, will you believe God? Because he is trustworthy and true. He is reliable. He is faithful and forgiving. 
he reconciles and renews those who are far off. The fullness of his faithfulness is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who for us sinners died the death we should have died and gave us the life that we could never earn. Praise be to God. Let's pray. You, God, are the faithful God of heaven and earth. You are trustworthy and true from generation to generation. You give your people good gifts. You give your people your word. Lord, your word is trustworthy because it is from you. So Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks in what you have done and what you will do. We give you thanks for this season. And Lord, let us respond as people who trust you and believe your word to be true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.